Welcome to WeAreTechnology.com's User-Friendly 2.0 with host Bill Sickens, Technology Architect. And this is User-Friendly 2.0. Welcome to this week's show. Bill, Gretchen, welcome. Hello. Hello there. So I'm going to start off with a rant this week. I had something happen. This is a technology thing. And, uh, you know, we get a lot of questions about this. And I think I finally kind of hit my wall on it. And that has to do with subscription software. Now, we've talked about this in the past on user-friendly, and there are some types of software where there are very valid reasons to do a subscription model. And that means you, instead of paying a one-time shot for the program you use, you pay monthly. Some of the advantages to that are it costs less upfront. You get updates as long as you're paying the monthly fee, but you will always have a monthly fee. And then regular software, you buy a license, you install it, they'll probably support it for a while. And then after that, they may stop supporting it, but it will run technically indefinitely until you would choose to do that. And for, oh, I don't know, 25 years or something, I've used a product called QuickBooks. Oh, yeah. And QuickBooks for a long time has offered both where you buy it. It was, I don't know, $400 and you got a copy of it that would run you know, as long as kind of indefinitely, you know, eventually would get old. And then they also did a monthly QuickBooks online. Well, this year they've decided to bully everybody, and that's my opinion, but bully everybody into forcing them into this monthly subscription model. They no longer sell the version where you can just buy it and keep it going. And as of May 30th, they've decided to stop supporting QuickBooks 2020 altogether. So while the software does still start all of the online, like being able to bill people and you know, do things like payroll and all that kind of stuff uh, was cut off. And I've been called four times by sales in the last few months about, well, you know, you want to upgrade. And it's like, you know, I don't mind if I chose a subscription model. And I think this is my rant uh, to begin with or wanted to do that. That would be fine. But it feels like with this, I'm being forced into it. You're being strong armed. You're being yeah. almost blackmailed into it. Yeah. <laughs> you that's, know? that's the whole thing. I was kind of concerned that they were going to do something to disable the software. They didn't, fortunately. But, you know, we've had that happen. A major cell phone provider um, told us point blank that they screw your phones up after three years intentionally so that you have to buy new ones. So it wouldn't be that unexpected. But so far, it does start. It does run. Now, the other question that I haven't been able to get an answer to is if I needed to reinstall it, would it activate again? Yeah, I've seen that problem. That's (laughs) like me. I, uh, I use Clip Studio Paint for a lot of my artwork, and they just came out with Clip Studio Paint 2. And there's all these different options. Like I can upgrade my pro version to the two version, or I can buy the two version full license, or I can subscription it. Here's that weird part is like the upgrade I can do. I can afford that. It's like 20 bucks, maybe 40. Buy the software outright for pro. They want about 150 to $250. Mm. Okay. To get the fancy version, they want four or 500. Now here's the problem though. If you don't do the subscription to it, all you get is the software on the day you buy it. No upgrades, no updates, nothing. Right. Wow. They want 25 bucks for pro per month as a subscription. And it is one of those better softwares. But like. For me, I don't do as much uh, using the 3D resources they have or uh, making a lot of comic strips myself or animations. so. The things that are actually being upgraded into in the second version don't really matter to me. Yeah. 
Yeah. And see, that's, and I think that's my whole thing too, is, you know, as far as that kind of stuff goes, it's fine. I have nothing against subscription software in the sense that if that's what you want and what you choose to do, it, then that's fine. But it's when you do like what you're talking about, where you're trying to force people. And I have another one. It's Moavi, I think is how you say it, screen recorder that I use for a lot of stuff in video editor. And I have a license from 2022, I think it is the version. And the same thing, they stopped doing updates and all of that. But what they did at the end of the year, because they want you to subscribe or buy, the, they still offer both, but they would want you to buy the update, which I don't need. But it now comes up every time you run it, there's the screen that comes up. You can get 10% off. It's like an ad. And there's it's no annoying. way to get rid of it. Yeah. And I called support back in December when this started happening was assured, yes, we're going to fix that and have a don't show this again checkbox. Well, it's now June and the checkbox hasn't shown up, you know. So in any mm-hmm. event, yeah, there are some kind of I consider that to be almost underhanded. Oh, that is kind ways. of invasive. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it takes something that's otherwise good and forces a situation. If QuickBooks ever does stop working for me just on principle, I will switch products. I, I don't want to be forced into that, you know. Anyway, and a rant, let's go on to the news. You work hard growing your business, but when it comes to marketing and branding, you simply don't have the time. You need a trusted partner to take on your advertising goals and produce results. Whatever your budget and deadlines are, Brian Kelly Digital Media is your trusted partner. We are ready to make your marketing and branding goals a reality. Your time is precious, and so is your advertising budget. Get more bang for your buck with Brian Kelly Digital Media. Schedule your free consultation today at 503-474-7885. That's 503-474-7885. So what's in the news? Cruise in Sherwood is June 17th. So in a blatant plug for the event during our newscast, uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is coming right up. Actually, user-friendly is a, is a sponsor this year of Cruise In, and it's a great show. It got back up and running last year. This is a classic car show in Sherwood, Oregon. So any of our listeners in that area, come out and check it out. It's free to walk around and look at the cars, and there's still openings for participants, although that's going pretty fast. There's a lot of cool vendors and bands and other things too. So this one's a fun one. We're going to be covering this a little bit when the show happens. It's on the 17th. So that is next by next weekend, I guess. So, okay, there you are. (laughs) AMC and Voodoo score big with new on-demand streaming partnership. Yeah. So this, you know, that came from the press release. The fact of the matter is, is these streaming apps as they were are consolidating because there's too many of them, at least in my opinion, and a lot of others uh, where people are kind of on overload. So they had an on-demand streaming service called AMC Theaters On Demand, which frankly I'd never heard of. And um, they're merging this into Vudu, which is owned by Fandango. So actually, it does make sense to do that. And they're going to have some different things out there available that wouldn't have been. And they're going to do it as all one app. So I have no idea if this is going to save money if you were going to buy both of them. Um, Vudu movies are $0.99 cents for a rental to $5.99. And purchase films can be about 25 bucks. So we'll have to see how they end up putting all that together. Apple's Worldwide Developers Conference held this week. Yeah, so this is their annual show. We're going to be talking about it in some depth here in a little bit. So I won't go into the details just yet. So stay tuned because they will be there. But it was a fun one this year. And uh, in the few minutes we have before we get into that, try to take a guess on what their big announcement was. 
See if you got it right here in a few minutes. Will AI be your next workout partner? Oh, hopefully it'll be less judgmental. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there is a lot of investment in technology right now to be able to monitor when you go to the gym or work out at home or whatever. And AI can actually analyze these things and give you feedback and all of that and tell you if you're exercising right, what you can do better. This is actually something that's not that terribly new, but with AI being kind of on the top of everyone's list right now, it's being talked about quite a bit more and getting some more focus. I've even seen this to a step beyond things like working out and where it can watch you play an instrument and give you feedback on if you're, you know, playing the guitar strings right or what you could do better or golf, if your swing could be all of that kind of stuff. We're starting to see that with AI and it does seem to work fairly well. Michael J. Uh, I'm sorry. J. Michael Stravinsky returns to Marvel with Captain America number one. Yeah. So the point of this is they are rebooting the Marvel Captain America universe. Yep. And the current universe is going to end next month or actually month after next in August. And they're doing some kind of interesting things with the storyline. A lot of this that's out there is very preliminary right now. It's looking like it could actually be pretty good, but you don't know until you actually get there. And Stravinsky is a really well-known writer. I mean, you yeah, know, well writer too. so that's why yeah. I think that that part of it is a lot of times when they do the reboots, it's kind of like what just happened in this particular case. I think there's a pretty good shot of them doing something pretty good just because, like I say, of the talent involved. But, you know, we'll see what happens. and We'll talk about it when we get a little more information on it. So the biggest technology news of this week, I think, has got to be Apple's Worldwide Developers Conference show. They just wrapped up. And this is a show every year. Most of the big tech companies do something like this to where they're announcing their new products. You know, what's the greatest, latest new stuff from Apple for the coming year? What are they going to be focused on? They demo things. Yeah, you know, it's that kind of a bit. And definitely the headliner of this week's or this year's rather show is the Apple Vision Pro. Mm -hmm. And this is an augmented reality and a virtual reality headset. They're entering the ring. now. We've heard about an idea for this device, and they've kind of been taking a wait-and-see attitude, but it looks like it's actually here. Now, the one thing about it is, is virtual reality has not gotten the traction under it that a lot of companies thought it would. And we've talked about the metaverse in the past just not being what it was assumed it was going to be. But Apple does seem to be kind of a market leader on a lot of different things. And if they can have success in a product, then others do follow, like the iPhone with smartphones and other things, graphical operating systems back in the day with Mac OS or Macintosh or you know whatever all that was. And the bottom line <laughs> of it is, is it's going to be interesting to see where this goes. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So now item number one, and let's get this out of the way because that's the other thing about Apple is they seem to always charge more. Mm -hmm. yeah. So to give you an idea of a mean of comparison here, the MetaQuest 2, which is the one that we all have, runs about $250 for the one with the enhanced memory and all that. You can actually get them now for about $120 to $130 if you go for the lighter version of it. The MetaQuest 3, which is just coming out, which we're going to review in a couple of weeks, is $500. The oh, Apple Vision Pro, hold on to your hats, suggested retail price of $3,499, not even including the leather. Okay, there's there's the I don't know about that, but it is three thousand four hundred ninety nine dollars. Yeah, wow, I was so expecting something bucks. like two thousand. Okay, I can get a yeah. good good VR setup and mocap system for about that much. So, 
I think I can get VR implanted in my brain for about that much, but it's, uh, you know, <laughs> no, but it's going to be interesting to see where this goes. Now, uh, Apple people that use Apple computers, and a lot of us do, um, don't tend to have as much objection to these higher prices because I know when I've had these conversations with people in the past, it's like, well, yeah, it costs three times as much and I'll have to have two jobs, but I wanted to have the Apple logo. Now, sometimes it's worth it and sometimes <laughs> it's not. In this case, I think the jury is a little bit still out on this. It's going to depend on where this goes. Now, the Apple Vision Pro, and I did get a chance to play with it, does deliver very well, and it does fix one major problem that I've had with the Quest, and that's okay. that you can easily use it even if you have to wear glasses. So they oh. fix that problem. Oh, that's nice. Um, you know, so it's uh, the the uh, oh, it's it's an OLED screen in it too, which is kind of uh, nice and it's curved so you don't have as much of the cutoff if you look in your peripheral vision so they've done some things here that are actually kind of cool and um actually do solve some of the problems we've been seeing with some of the other ones so you know from that standpoint i think it's pretty cool i'm still not sure it's worth thirty five hundred dollars but i think it is going to raise the bar for this kind of technology any way you look at it yeah i okay. agree so um it runs a operating system called vision os so you have your OS now for this particular thing that's in its own ecosystem, but still is tied to everything else. And, you know, it, I don't know. It's interesting. Um, there's cameras. The uh, outer display shows your eyes, which is kind of interesting. So uh, people can see what you're looking at and what you're focusing on. Really? Kind of an interesting little feature. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> so I, I, I don't know. That takes a little getting used to. But yeah, it's like looking at the outside. It's almost like you can see the person's eyes. And, um, you know, it has, let's see, eye tracking and all that kind of thing. Uh, it, it will secure your purchases with something called Optic ID, which uses your eyes as an optical fingerprint for authentication. Okay, so what happens when you get glaucoma? <laughs> you know, yeah, well, you, you know, there are, I guess you wouldn't eyes. use it, though, anyway, because you couldn't see the screen. But, oh. <laughs> uh, you know, and the other thing that I thought that was interesting about this that is different is the camera data is processed at the system level. So what the camera sees isn't fed up to the cloud. And this has been one thing that's been a complaint about a lot of smart devices, because the information, like on a smart speaker, it's actually what it's really doing is taking a recording of what you're asking sending it to a server on the cloud and getting the response back because the little device doesn't have the computing power to be able to do that. But in right. this particular case, it holds your information internally. So it does definitely have some advantages. Again, $3,500, but yeah. um, it is better, in my opinion, than anything else that's on the market. So we'll see where it goes. Okay. And, uh, you know, if that goes where that's at. There were some other things that were announced too, although that definitely was the star of the show. One of them is uh, they have a new MacBook Air 15. Uh, it's a larger version of the 13 that launched last year and 18 hours of battery life. They've upgraded a number of things on that up to two terabytes of storage, 24 gigabytes of memory. Uh, and with that configuration, it retails for $1,299. So what would that be? A third of the price of the headset? Half something <laughs> for a whole laptop? Hmm. Um, in, in any event, uh, so that's going to be their new model coming out to Mac Studios also getting an upgrade now. The M2 chip uh, set, which is Apple, what they're shipping on uh, most of their stuff now, is a processor and the high-end version of this, which is called the Max, is shipping in this device. So the Max Studio is actually a physical piece of hardware with the software to do what you need to do, basically. Hmm. And these start at $2,000. 
and the um, Mac Pro, which is an upgrade to their desktop. This is the one that a lot of us have seen. Starts at about seven thousand. Wow. So, anyway, iOS seventeen is coming out. That was the other thing that I noticed on that. That's upgrade for your tablets and your iPhones, uh, both the phone and then iPad OS seventeen. So there were a lot of other things talked about too. But that was kind of the highlight of the show. Again, the big one being the VR headset. So we'll see where that goes. I don't know if I'm going to switch to Apple yet from all of that, but it is interesting to see where they're going. <laughs> all right. Other thing looking at new technology coming out is we've been getting a lot of listener questions on this, I think, lately, just with some of the changes and having to do with infotainment systems. And I've been working on this a little bit in some cars and some different things. I'm working on upgrading the stereos and got an opportunity to try out a few different products. And the companies that we looked at was Alpine, Pioneer, and Boss. And what this is, is these are infotainment decks. So it's the screen that goes in the car that does more than just be a screen. Alpine and Pioneer are both high-end products, although they do have a lot of different things in their product offerings. And Boss is more of an entry-level unit. So to give you an idea of kind of a comparison of price range, to get a deck that does navigation and supports phone connectivity and things like Android Auto uh, and CarPlay and all of that, uh, run you about seven eight hundred dollars or more on the Alpine or the Pioneer. They're pretty compatible. The Boss system with navigation, but not with Android Auto, starts at about two hundred bucks. So you're looking at a pretty big difference. Both of them feature double DIN formats, touch sensitive displays, all of those kind of things. Both have talking directions and all of the basic features you'd expect to have in a system like that. But you kind of do what get what you pay for. Alpine has some lesser models that have the good sound quality, but don't support navigation. So if the only thing you want is Android Auto, you could go with that and save a little bit of the money from there. So, you know, I think this is something where it's still worth going somewhere if you can and check it out and see what you like and what sounds better because there is a huge difference in audio quality. The other mm -hmm. thing you have to take into consideration, which I learned on this too, is the technology to be able to make the thing work in your car. So one vehicle I was installing one of these into is a 2005 Hyundai Elantra. And this vehicle is about what you'd expect. You get a wiring harness adapter, you solder the wires together, and if you do it right, you plug it in and it works, more or less. There were a few other steps I had to figure out how to tie <laughs> into the parking brake and the backup lights for the camera. But, you know, it was pretty straightforward. Now, the other one is a 2017 Nissan. This is my Star Wars car. and I was upgrading the radio in it, and I was thinking I might need to go to a galaxy far, far away to figure out how to do it. You don't just wire it in. That's part of it. But you have to have this computer interface adapter module. And the way that you set that up is you buy the thing, number one, for 150 bucks, And then you have to connect it to the USB on your computer and download software for the car and flash the memory within the device so that it will work. And what it allows it to do is so that the radio can talk to the car's computer and the, can get feedback and all of that kind of stuff. So these are things like your steering wheel controls, if you have them, backup cameras, all of that kind of stuff. And, you know, I don't know, at the end of the day, it just was this massive thing and this massive amount of wires to get everything to work. I wanted Sirius XM, so the tuner was a separate device. And I'm looking behind my dashboard, and I'm like, I don't know how all this is going to fit in here. You know, <laughs> so I don't know, Bill, you've done work on cars. Have you you've done stereo changes and have you run into any of this? 
Yeah, but the last time I did a stereo change was in a 91 Caprice station wagon. So I had a lot of room. The only thing I had to do on that one was I got a cheap one that had a DVD player and a screen, so I had to figure out how to bypass the parking brake. Yeah. Because it used to have to be on, and that was just easy fix. Yeah, I, I'm I'm doing having to do the same thing on the Nissan. I don't recommend that. I mean, it is a safety feature. You don't want videos running while you drive. But I could not get mine that where it would pick up the parking brake signal on the CAN bus, and to try to hardwire it into the system, there is a way to do that. But there's a hundred wire connector which you have to get into with these ultra hmm. thin wires, and it, I just didn't feel confident to be able to mess with that. You know? Wow. Yeah, that would be ugh, no. <laughs> Well, and if you screw something up in there, I mean, it's going to be like a major thing, I would think, to to fix it. I The way that I'm doing my reverse lights, because it's also not picking up the reverse signal, is I'm actually going to run a physical wire from the reverse light so that when mm-hmm. it powers on, the 12-volt will trigger it. You know, that'll be easy to do. And then bypassing the parking brake, there, and again, I like I said, I don't recommend this. I don't consider it to be safe. But if you have to do it, you have to actually, in the case of this, buy an additional component online or build one. So that that'll work properly. I wish I could just connect it so that it worked the way it's supposed to, but that doesn't seem to be in the cards on this. Mm-hmm. So, shouldn't you warn everybody that you might have to rip open your interior of your car to do all of this? Yeah, that was the other thing. So, in yeah, in both cases, you basically I had to take the dashboard apart to get inside to be able to get to the components I needed to. Now on the Hyundai, it was just a matter, and it's a little simpler design because it's an older car. You just pull the cover that goes over the instrument cluster and where the radio is off. And that was basically what that took to get in there with a burned out bulb. So I was able to service a few things like that too, while I was in there uh, on the Nissan, on the other hand, it required removing the uh, cover on the passenger side airbag, the glove box, the glove box hinges, the center console area where the thing goes, the area where the ignition switch is the instrument cluster cover and the air conditioning climate control switches. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, and then to get into the wiring, to get into the backup lights and stuff, that was the uh, side panels and the kick plate below the fuse box. It was a lot more complicated. Let's just say, uh, you know, but it works. And at the end of the day, it's, you know, it, I think it was worth it. But oh my goodness, I now understand why car stereo installers get paid, you know, to do these things. And it just, uh, <laughs> It was a challenge. <laughs> so I really, ended up yeah. picking the Alpine for the Nissan. And the reason for that is because it would work with the factory installed Bose amp and I didn't have to replace my amp too. So, Good you know, reasons. that was what made the difference there. Love the sound quality. Uh, the, the boss system works and it sounds okay. And if you're not huge into audio, it's great, but there are some differences. The output is not as clear and the navigation works but isn't as quite as full featured. I would say it was probably the best way to put it. So anyway, there you are. That's our take on that. So Alpine, Pioneer, and Boss all make a pretty good product. It's kind of more or less based on what you need it to be in. The other thing of it is, is we did the Boss and the Hyundai mainly because if I had gone with the Alpine, the stereo would have been worth more than the car. So, (laughs) (laughs) So, and uh, you don't want that. That's the other thing I learned about with this, too, is if you upgrade your audio deck or anything else for that matter, you have to call your insurance company and tell them that you have aftermarket accessories or they don't cover it if it gets stolen, usually. Oh. Just a little bit of a food for thought thing there. 
All right, next segment of the show, we're going to be looking at comic books and a new way to distribute comic books and consume them and read them. I think it's kind of cool. This is User Friendly 2.0. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. This is User Friendly 2.0. Check us out online. Userfriendlyshow.com is your one-stop shop for everything user-friendly. You can play our episodes on demand. You can look at past seasons. You can read Tech Wednesday. There's all kinds of things out there you can take a look at. And the other thing you can do is submit your questions and comments. Please keep them coming in. There's a button right on the website on the homepage there to submit your questions. Just use that. Send them on over, and we're happy to answer them on the air, or at least by email, one way or the other. So we've got a great interview coming up in this segment today, and this is something that when I first saw it, I'm kind of looking at it going, okay, this you know could be interesting, but uh, then I decided to try it out, and I found myself kind of playing with it for a little bit longer. And what it is is it's a delivery platform for comic books. Now, the idea here is that comic books are a medium that is a physical book, and everybody that likes comic books you know, has the big stack of them sometimes in the boxes and all of that. And if you want to look at them online, you're basically looking at a PDF type thing or some kind of a scan maybe to be able to read it. But there isn't really an interactive way to do it. And some of the attempts in the past to do that have taken it where it's not really a comic book medium anymore. It becomes more like an animated cartoon or something, you know. And this is something that, from looking at it, actually seems to find a medium in that, and that it still holds the idea of being a comic book, but it is a little more interactive because you're not on a piece of paper, you're online. So so is this is this something that would be looked at a website, or can you use your phone or tablet? Um, it's actually designed for your phone or tablet. It's an app. Uh, so you would install it. It's on Android and iPhone. So it's all of the major platforms that are out there. And it has a lot of content available, too. So there's a lot of different things. And we're going to talk about in the interview specifically what some of the enhancements are and how they've kind of brought that to light in a way that augments it instead of changing it into something other than what it actually is. And we're going to be talking a little bit about both sides of the coins, whether you're somebody that reads comic books or if you're someone that wants to get into publishing them or already does. There's some areas, you know, on both ends where this is a really interesting way to get your content to market or be able to consume it, where you're not actually having to buy the physical book. Now, I will never get to a point where I don't want physical copy of certain things. I like hardbound books and stuff for different things. There's something about that. But the ability to read online is important in certain cases, definitely changes. Like for programming, I used to buy all my uh, programming manuals and books. And I found that I've really kind of moved online for that. It's a lot easier and takes up less space. There's other things where I still like the book. But in this particular case, I think it is something that's good side by side. You're still going to want to buy a comic book, but this is a way to get some other things. And it's also a way to see some media from producers, content producers, that may not be able to get out in the conventional way. All right, so let's go ahead and go to the interview. What do you get when you mix hot rods, live music, and a family-friendly old town district? The 2023 Cruisin' Sherwood car show presented by Les Schwab, of course. User-Friendly is a proud sponsor of Cruisin' Sherwood's 31st year. Join us Saturday, June 17th from 9 a.m. to 10 p.m. Get details at userfriendlyshow.com. Just tap the Cruisin' Sherwood logo. Our guest is Evan Matthews, co-founder of Macroverse. Welcome to the show. Uh, Great. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. 
So tell us a little bit about yourself and what is Macroverse? Um, so yes, my name is Evan Matthews and uh, co-founder of Macroverse. Um, Macroverse is a digital media company which is particularly focused on reinventing comics for a digital kind of next generation experience. And there's a lot we can get into about all of that, <laughs> but that's kind of our core focus right now with really the kind of fundamental intent to reinvent the way that worldwide entertainment franchises are born and then kind of developed over time uh, across multiple mediums. So small ambitions, to be sure. Just, just a little bit. I mean, it sounds like, yeah. you know, something we can do this afternoon. And then yeah, so exactly. uh, <laughs> I think we better start at the 10,000 foot view here. Let's, <laughs> let's talk about what is the idea of reinventing comic books? Yeah. So actually, I mean, if this will kind of give you my background and kind of bring us into how and why we started this to begin with and then can kind of lead into what we're doing. So, you know, I've been a lifelong comics fan since I was you know, seven years old um, and reading comics. I think I learned to read from comics as well, collecting comics since I can remember. So I've got my 25 long boxes to, to prove it. Um, and, uh, you know, just been a, a a lover of the art form so much so that I actually thought I was going to grow up to draw comics professionally. So my you know, earliest part of my career is as a professional illustrator. I you know, went to Rhode Island School of Design, came out with an illustration degree. And um, weirdly, I ended up coming out, recruiting some of my professors and starting a branding and media agency right out of school. So for anyone that's old enough to remember when kind of the the beginnings, the early days of the internet when, you know, interactive animated websites were starting to really be a thing, like that was our sweet spot. So lots of flash animation, lots of, you know, kind of creating multimedia experiences on the web, which led to doing animation projects with a South Korean company that we were partnered with. We ended up making children's books for Target. And so I kind of developed this superpower over the course of kind of the first career, first part of my career where we would get calls from clients and they would say, hey, do you guys do you know X, Y, and Z? And we would go, of course, all day long, every day. And then we would get off the phone and go like, okay, how are we going to do this? How do Who do we need? How do we figure this out? So I got very good at like, say yes, and then put the pieces together. And that was kind of the first chapter of my career. Then I met, my, who's actually my co-founder in Macroverse, one of my two co-founders. Um, he was coming up in traditional film and television and on the production side. So when we met, he was working on the first Transformers movie. And as we became friends, we kind of had this simultaneous realization, you know, maybe over a couple of drinks one night that, you know, we're kind of like, okay, we both have these kind of interesting, cool careers, but we're just going to be making stuff for other people for the rest of our lives. And we really wanted to flip to the other side of that equation. We were both in Los Angeles. And so in that time, we're in a kind of just post Tarantino, Robert Rodriguez, Kevin Smith, you know, 90s indie cinema world. And so our solution to that was like, hey, we'll write a screenplay. We'll become famous directors. Like, that's how we're going to you know, get to the other side of this. Excuse me. Um, so, you know, we did write a screenplay and that led us fortunately into having that one optioned. And that led us to CAA, which is one of the big talent agencies you know, here in Los Angeles. And we did a ton of pitching. So, you know, if anyone doesn't know when you're just starting out and, you know, trying to write film and television, it's a lot of meeting people, you know, pitching ideas, hoping that something you know, moves forward. 
and and we did a ton of that. We did that. We had a, wrote a TV pilot, which got very uh, very close to moving forward, and then literally got killed by The Walking Dead, which is its own story uh, as well. Um, and then we found our way into the video game world. So we spent a decade writing, directing, and producing game content. And so this is an interesting mix of you know doing things narratively, but still having this interactive component to it, having to work with technology. And we met the third co-founder in Macroverse. Um, who had uh, started the mobile gaming division at Disney and has been in the games world for 25 years. And we did a project with them. And, you know, everyone listening probably has someone in their lives, which were kind of like, we don't know exactly what we're going to end up doing together, but, you know, probably will be something. So let's stay in touch and we'll kind of figure it out. And so Adam, who's my writing partner and, and the person that I was doing all this with, and Ricky, who's the, the person that we met through this games uh, project, um, you know, we stayed in touch. And then the final piece of this puzzle is I did get back into the comics industry by putting together a graphic novel series for a movie called The Boondock Saints when they were making a, a second uh, film. And so that brought me back into comics in a really interesting way, because bringing it full circle back to the like, say yes and figure it out. You know, I was like, I'll figure out how to put this thing together. And so that ended up working with the director the studio and Sony in this case, and then going back into the comics world, finding a publisher and figuring out distribution and like the whole convention circuit and like, you know, this whole year long uh, project to create the material, distribute it, you know, get it out into the world. And so we made this graphic novel series and we did quite well with it. And then we came out of that experience and Adam and I, again, were kind of like, okay, this is the place that we think we can actually create this content that we've want, been wanting to do, the stories that we want to tell, the stuff that we want to make. Comics and film and television have you know, only gotten closer and closer and closer related with, you know, obviously, kind of the MCU being the ultimate expression of that. And so we started looking at that and we're either smart or crazy enough to also start thinking, okay, there's no good digital format for comics. Like, you know, comics are this kind of 50-year-old um, art form, or 100-year-old art form, 50-year-old business model that, you know, doesn't really work for independent creators. And so we kind of looked at all that and said, you know, there's the, the only digital version of comics is basically a PDF on an iPad or putting comic pages on a web page. And there has to be something else. And so we spent literally two years kind of continuing to work on other projects, prototyping, you know, experimenting, trying to figure out what is this digitally native format for comics. And then we finally felt like we figured it out. And so we can talk about what that is, but that's where we went back to Ricky, who we had met, you know, who's the, the games person in this story, the third co-founder of Macroverse. And we said, we think we've got something here. And the three of us came together and said, you know, is there a business here? So that was kind of the question number two. And once we determined that we thought there was, then we started, you know, building Macroverse. And so Macroverse is initially the format and a mobile app um, that is designed to you know, read this format or consume this format, which we call a tap story. And then we've built a bunch of stuff on top of that since then. So just I'll, I'll stop talking momentarily. But at this point, the app is live on iOS and Android. We've launched about 50 different series with 100 different creators and you know, lots and lots more stuff coming from there. Um, but we think it's a, it's a way to both move the format of comic books forward, but also make the economics for creators uh, much, 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 much better. You know, I, before we did the interview, I was looking a little bit at the apps and just to yeah. you know see what it was, and and yeah. because this is very unique, and 
it is absolutely true that there is not a distribution model for comic books that works in 2023. It just isn't. And all of us have the boxes in the closet with the, you know, plastic containers and all that stuff. And, you know, so it was kind of cool. But the one thing I'm noticing is it's not just like still images. It's not like just flipping through. You've taken it kind of to the next level. Yeah. So can you tell us a little bit about the technology, what the app does, maybe just at a broad sense, and then start to drill yeah. down a little bit, because it's really For cool. Sure. Thank you. I, I appreciate that. So this was the the key insight that we had as we did all this prototyping. So we part of our background in the work that we did in games was being early pioneers in this thing called motion comics, which essentially is taking still images and bringing some level of animation to them. So we got very good at that for the specific purpose of, you know, doing this and got a mid-tier console game, you know, kind of environment. And when we first started trying to figure out this format for the app, that's actually where we started. So we have early prototypes that have animation and sound and, you know, like lots of additional kind of multimedia. And I think the key insight that we kept coming back to is this isn't what comics are. Like the you know, a comic book is not a multimedia experience. It's a unique art form. And the reason that comics work is because of this unique juxtaposition of images and text. Like it really is its own creative animal, you know, different than film and television or animation or anything else. And so, you know, we've had this philosophy over the years creatively that it's like you have to really lean into the strengths of what a medium is to be able to figure out how to take it to another place as opposed to trying to turn it into something else. And so the the key insight that we had is the one thing that digital can bring to the table that you just can't do in any other media is eliminate the constraints of the page. And so when you think about other digital comics formats, if it's a PDF on an iPad, you're just seeing a digital representation of a physical page size. If it's a Webtoons or other format kind of endless scroll, which, you know, anyone that doesn't know Webtoons, it's literally just, you know, pages stacked on top of each other that you're scrolling through on a web page. You know, you're still dealing with the physical constraints of the screen size. And so the key insight for us was how do you how do you stay true to the art form, this unique juxtaposition of images and text to tell a story? But. Number one, figure out a way to utilize the fact that this is an unlimited canvas size. And number two, how can you take that idea of images and text next to each other that your brain as a reader tells a story by seeing a sequence of those images and think about that a little bit differently. And so our format, as I said, is called a tap story. Every time, every time you tap the screen, something changes. And that can be as simple as panel one changes and you now see panel two. But when we get really more into the format, what we encourage our creators and our own material to think about is you can change the context between images by tapping through a series of these screens. And so one simple way to try to imagine that if you're listening is it could be, you know, you start on a close up, let's say of an eye, and then you see a panel below that, which is a fist. And so you start to create some sort of narrative in your mind about how are these two images related? And it could be that maybe they're two separate characters. Maybe it's two images that are the same character you're seeing different parts of. And so by tapping through a series of images, maybe you're pulling back to reveal that that top image is the eye of, I don't don't know how, how dark we want to get here, but maybe this is a corpse on the ground. And then over a series of taps, you see that the hand belongs to someone standing over that corpse. And so 
over a series of moments, you can reveal a, a part of the story or you can change you know, people's assumptions about what's happening. You can, one of, one of the creators that we worked with, you know, loved this format because he was like, you know, you can actually land a joke, which is much harder to do in traditional comics because you can do setup and payoff. You can, you know, have a punchline, which is only possible on a page turn in a traditional comic. Um, so it opens up the storytelling in that way. It also means you don't have to worry about how many word balloons fit on a page, which is another thing that if you're ever writing comics is a major constraint. Um, so just, you know, more tools in the toolbox to be able to move through these stories. I know when looking at it, if I had to sum it up in one word, I think it's more immersive, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but it didn't feel like you're watching a cartoon or an animated show or anything like that yeah. either, which, like you said earlier, you don't want to go that way because it's not a comic book. Yeah. But um, I know I was, I, and I was actually, and I, I don't mean this to sound negative, but I was pleasantly surprised. I don't know yeah. what I was yeah. expecting, really. <laughs> but um, it, it it does seem like this is a very good way to be able to distribute utilizing digital technology while not screwing up the original platform. Yeah. So um, it sounds like you have kind of two sides of the coin. You have people that are reading the material and consuming it would download the app, kind of like what I did. But you also are talking about content providers. Can you uh, talk on that a little bit? Because we always get questions yeah. on this kind of a thing. Yeah. And I know we're going to get them here. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So you, you mean people that actually make the material, make the content, yeah, yeah. The creators themselves. Yeah. So, you know, I think this is this is another place where I feel like we're fairly unique. So I think if you look at the other comics platforms out there, most of them are being you know created from a more kind of corporate level. So, you know, it's a big company that's you know, really supporting this with advertising or, you know, some other business model associated with it. And they're kind of looking at the creators as, you know, this is just the thing that's going to bring eyeballs that then is going to bring the advertisers and then we'll, you know, break off a tiny little piece of that for the creators. And so kind of following a more social media kind of structure for a lot of the other apps that are out of there. And, you know, not to talk too negatively about Webtoons because they've done an incredible job of building a huge audience, but they are literally YouTube for creators. So the top 1% of 1% of people are going to see any money. And then, you know, some tiny fraction of those are going to actually see any significant money. And so, you know, when we looked at this whole equation, one of the things that we felt was really important is that if you're going to rethink what the format is, we also need to address the reality that for real creators that have real talent to want to kind of work on this platform, we need to offer a better monetization opportunity for them. And being creators ourselves, this is where I think, you know, we're a little different here. Like we've been on every side of the negotiating table when it comes to, you know, what are these deals going to look like? And so we're always coming at it from the point of view of like, if we were on the other side of this equation, would we be happy with this deal? And so the way that that breaks down for us is it's kind of the Spotify model that everyone wishes existed in the music industry. So instead of it being, you know, pennies per click, like it's a really direct revenue split. So, you know, essentially our app costs $5 a month to subscribe to. Very reasonable in our opinion. (laughs) Um, And, you know, that revenue all goes into one pool. We have uh, the ability to track readership across all the different pieces of content that are on the app. And so every month we're able to go and say, you know, how much is in that subscription pool? 50% 50% of it goes to continue to grow the company and invest in you know, the, the production side of everything that we're doing. And then 50% of it is divided directly by readership. So if your series is you know, 20% of the readership on the app, 
then you're getting 20% of the revenue. So it's a very clean, very easy to understand, and ultimately very easy to grow um, you know, way of being able to directly connect with an audience, build an audience, you know, monetize the, the readership of your stuff. Well, I mean, and that sounds so completely different from other things because you actually do have the opportunity, even if your readership is small, still yeah. to make something for it. You're not going to get locked yeah. out just exactly. because you're not, you know. Now, a content provider or creator, would they pitch their idea to you? How do they get on the platform? Yeah, perfect. There are three things that we're mostly working with. And and again, we don't really take a one size fits all here because we don't think there is such a thing. So so there are right, three right, right. general buckets that we do think, you know, that things tend to fall in. So we are creating original content internally. So there's stuff that, you know, we write and produce um, and that kind of falls in, you could imagine kind of like, you know, Netflix original, you know, kind of a, a scenario an HBO original. So we do have original content we're doing internally. And we hire creators to come help us, you know, make that stuff. So there's a part of the business which is very much work for hire, and then we cut those creators in on a percentage of, you know, both revenue and then any ancillary, you know, that may come down the road. Um, the second bucket is kind of a co-production model where either people will pitch stuff to us, and if you know, essentially breaks down. If we end up putting money into it, then we, you know, acquire a piece of the intellectual property, and we're kind of in it together. Um, so there is that kind of co-production model. And then the third bucket, if anyone's familiar with the comics industry, is more like the image model where, you know, we're saying, okay, we'll handle distribution, we'll help with marketing, we'll help, you know, kind of bring this out into the world, but you're bringing us finished material, you know, with our, our guidance and support, essentially. Um, and so it kind of broadly falls into those three categories. Um, and then how we actually find people is some people do submit con to us, content to us. And, you know, that's very easy. It's just submissions at macroverse.com if you've got stuff that you're interested in bringing to the app. And then we also reach out to people that we think have, you know, material that we like, that we think would work on the platform. And we've also gotten very good at adapting existing comics for this format. And so I think that's another interesting part of the business is being able to bring material that maybe hasn't reached a digital audience or, you know, could be experienced in a new way um, into this format, you know, where it may have only ever existed in print, for example, before. Now, it is so amazing with technologies like this, how you can get access to so much more because you're not locked into this just little tiny part of the environment. So, yeah. all right, I know you gave the email address. Go ahead and give it again, and uh, I'm going to ask it from two uh, directions. Yeah. If somebody yeah. wants to get your app, how do they get it? And if yeah. someone wants to get in contact with you for the other side, how do they do that? Yeah, so the app, and, and definitely encourage everyone to download and check out the app, but it's just on the App Store. So iOS and Android, if you search Macroverse, you're going to find it. Um, so very, very easy there. Um, and then uh, for submissions, it's just submissions at Macroverse.com. So just uh, you know, shoot us an email. And we do look at everything that comes in. And if it's something that we think would be a good fit, we'll you know, certainly be in touch. All right. That sounds great. We'll also get that out on our social media. So if anybody's listening while you're driving, don't stop to write it down right now. We don't want you to do that. Just go to the website and you can pick it up from there. Yeah. All right. Well, listen, I'm hoping we can have you back a few months down the road. I know we're going to get questions. This is an amazing thing. And I, I want to see how our listeners react to this, too, once they start checking out the app and everything. Yeah. But thank you so much. For uh, being here today. Oh, it is my pleasure. I mean, this is, you know, if anyone listening has ever felt this way, I mean, this is the point where I'm at in my career now. I feel like everything I've done 
like all those dots have connected to kind of bring us to this point. So it's like all the skill sets I've picked up over the years, all the, you know, different pieces of creative that I've learned how to do or be involved with. It's like, it's, it's all come together in this. And so, you know, for, for lack of a less cheesy way to say it, like, you know, this is my life's work now. And I really think we've got the opportunity to do something spectacular. And we want to work with great creative people, you know, and and create something that you know fans can really sink their teeth into. So it's it, it yeah. It, again, no no less ambitious than kind of rewriting the model for you know how franchises get made and delivered. And uh, we'd like everyone to be a part of it. I'll tell you what you said that in the beginning. I'm kind of going okay, whatever. Actually, I'm seeing where you're coming from. I mean, this <laughs> is this is something that is absolutely incredible, and I think. Uh, you know, number one, congratulations for getting here. It's Thank it's you. nice to see unique things like this come together. But the other side of it is, boy, does it fill a niche that's needed to be filled. So I I can't wait to see where this goes on down the road. So, but again, thank you for being here today, and I look forward to talking again a little bit in the future. My absolute pleasure. Let's do it. <laughs> well, check it out now, Gretchen. Bill, do either of you read a lot of comic books? I used to, not so many this uh, lately. Um, I, I'll, I would have picked them up, um, when Jeremy left them lying around. Um, he also read a lot like on websites. So, yeah, yeah that's, so the physical, that's kind of and where the, I too. Ones. the online and then, you know, some of the physical stuff and yeah, there's really, a green lantern one still sitting in the bathroom that sometimes I'll pick up and read through. <laughs> <laughs> no, and there you are with that. No, but I, like I said, I think check this out. It's kind of a cool thing. And. I was looking at it, and it's both tech and pop culture, really, kind of bound together. But they've done a nice job, and I think it's something that's worthwhile. So I wish them every success. I think this is a cool idea, and I think it's something that uh, it has a place. This is User-Friendly 2.0. Until next week, keeping you safe on the cutting edge. User-Friendly 2.0 is copyright 2023, User-Friendly Media Group, Inc. All rights reserved. Views expressed on this show are those of the host and not necessarily User-Friendly Media Group, Inc. or this station. Music licensing by BMI. Hosting and technology provided by wearetechnology.com. Listen at theanswerportland.com, userfriendlyshow.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts.